This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you need rest for your soul today? Are you feeling burdened by guilt and struggle to find peace in your daily Christian walk? Well, today's program will encourage your heart and will perhaps answer questions that you've had about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Dr. Dave Anderson is our guest today, founder and president of Grace School of Theology and author of numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Bewitched, and the book we'll be discussing today, Maximum Joy. Dr. Anderson has served as a pastor, church planter, and professor of biblical languages for over 30 years in over 15 countries. Dr. Anderson, welcome back to Saving Grace. Thank you, Carmen. Always good to be with you. Well, so pleased to have you. You know, today's topic, I think, is going to be such an encouragement for all of us. And, and one of the reasons I think back to when I first became a Christian and quickly realized that I still continue to sin and often on a daily basis. And that can be concerning, particularly if someone goes to the book of 1 John, reads through some of the scripture and because of what they're reading, perhaps doubt their relationship with Jesus Christ. So I was so pleased to see that you'd written a book called Maximum Joy that really distinguishes between relationship and fellowship. Could you explain the difference? Well, sure. Uh, you know, God likens, and I don't think it's just an analogy. I think it's, it's true, uh, himself as a father and us as his children. He talks about being born again into this family. Now, all of us have earthly fathers. And whether you're a daughter or you're a son, that's a relationship you have that will last for eternity. Uh, even if, God forbid, one of you should go to heaven and the other would go to hell, uh, it's still a father-daughter or father-son relationship. Nothing can break that relationship. And that's our relationship with God. Once we're in his family... You're a daughter or a son, and that's an eternal relationship. Nothing can break that relationship. But enjoying the relationship's another matter. If I have a son, then I have a father-son relationship with him forever. But if he decides to uh, be a drug pusher and gets caught and goes to prison, we won't be enjoying that relationship. We will be out of fellowship, you might say. So I would define fellowship as enjoying the relationship, okay? okay? So you could be in and out of fellowship many times uh, throughout a year, for example, uh, with your earthly father. Uh, but uh, to get back into fellowship with your father, if you've done something to offend him, you would need to come and ask his forgiveness. Yes. It's no different uh, in our relationship with God. Uh, if we're enjoying the relationship, we're having fellowship with him. If we're not enjoying the relationship, we would say we're out of fellowship with him. But the relationship is intact, nothing nothing taken away. Uh, I spent three hours one afternoon with a man named Robert Shank, who was a leading light in the Churches of Christ. Uh, in his view, you're in relationship or out of relationship. 
When you sin, you've lost your salvation. When you repent or confess or both and come back, you have reestablished your eternal life relationship, in and out, in and out. So uh, we went through this concept of relationship and fellowship, and he said, you know, he had the humility to say, you know, I have never thought about distinguishing those two. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I love the the family dynamic mm-hmm. analogy because we can, most all of us can relate to that. Uh, I think of, of young moms all over the years. I've had opportunity to minister to, to young women and, and, and certainly that parenting of children. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can upset you so much. You can send them to their room when they've disobeyed and you have to discipline, et cetera. But yet they are your children. Absolutely. And, and you love them with an everlasting love. So uh, it's... it's you know, a, if I could stick this yes. in here, I, I know it's, again, off script. But the basis for all this is way back in the Old Testament in God's relationship with Israel. Mm. He sets up an eternal relationship with the Abrahamic covenant. Nothing Israel can do would break that covenant. But if she doesn't stay in the land and be obedient to the Mosaic law, she gets out of fellowship. So the Mosaic law was set up for her to have fellowship. Mm-hmm. Not relationship. The Abrahamic covenant was set up for the relationship. And so when she's disobedient to the law, God sends in the Assyrians. She's still disobedient, he sends in the Babylonians. She's still disobedient, he sends in the Romans. But when they're following the law, like under Josiah, things go well. Right. When uh, they go against the law once again, God disciplines. Just as you would discipline a child. Yes. He doesn't divorce her, Israel. He doesn't destroy her. He just says, until you're ready to come back, Turn around, as it says in Deuteronomy 30, uh, I won't take you back. But when you do, I'll bring you back in and flood you with mm-hmm. joy. And he says, I will do that someday in the future when a remnant invites me back. So Israel, the nation, becomes a picture of the individual believer for the New Testament. So Israel had a relationship, Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. She has fellowship through the Mosaic law. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not under the Mosaic law anymore, but... We have, as individuals now, a permanent relationship with God when we trust Christ as our Savior. Then to be in fellowship with Him, we have to follow the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, etc. Yes. Yes. You know, one more uh, a picture of that, that father-son relationship, uh, parent-child relationship. I think of the prodigal son. Mm. And, and so many times that's taught in the church as, well, he was lost. He didn't, you know, and, and, and he had to be found and, and he had to be saved. But... But yet it seems to me that what that's talking about is a son who strayed, but he's still a son, right? Well, uh, Luke 15, from which that passage comes, talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost yes. and the prodigal son. Uh, I remember one time a preacher asking me, uh, you know, he was going to preach an evangelistic sermon on that. And uh, he said, how would I do it? And I said, well, how do you know the sheep wasn't a sheep? <laughs> and he looked at me funny and says, that's why I don't like talking to you. You ask the strangest questions. <laughs> but in actuality, the sheep was part of a flock. Yes. He was a sheep. It was a sheep. It got lost. The good shepherd goes, finds it, brings it back. And it talks about rejoicing in heaven over repentance. Mm-hmm. The coin was on the necklace. It was lost. It was found, put back on the necklace. The son had a father. Yes, he he also had a brother. He was in a family. And just because he took his inheritance and went off and squandered and winds up in a pigsty doesn't mean he wasn't still a son and had a real father. And the father was simply waiting for him to come back, and he was overjoyed when he did so. So uh, I myself don't take that as evangelistic, 
you could go either way with it, but I think the main point was uh, he was teaching on repentance of people who are already uh, in God's family. Oh, I agree, and I, I, I love that story. Well, you know, there's some theologians, Dr. Anderson, that see First John as a test of one's salvation, a way that you and others watching can determine if you really are a Christian. But you point out in your book that these tests don't bring assurance of salvation. In fact, just the opposite, it might cause one to doubt and fear that they are not a believer. Well, we can show that pretty easily. The one book on this subject is called Save Without a Doubt. And the author finds 11 tests in 1 John by which you can determine if you're a believer or not. His favorite one is in 1 John 2, 3, and 4. First uh, John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4 says, If we say we know him and don't keep his commandments, we're a liar and the truth isn't in us. Now, we haven't rehearsed this, Carmen, so uh, don't blush, but do you keep his commandments? Oh, you know, it's one of those things I would like to say I keep every one, but I sin. I fail, Dr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Well, um, do you know Jesus? I do. Well, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. This says, if you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments. Now, you say you know him yeah. and you say you don't always keep his commandments. And it says you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. I don't think you're a liar, are you? No. Carmen, not about this anyway. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, how are we going to solve that? Uh, yeah. If you say that's a test of whether you have a relationship with God, if you say that's a test of whether you're a Christian or not, when will you know? Because mm-hmm. you get into, well... By this I know that I know him if I keep his commandments. Well, what, which commandments? Uh, all the commandments or just the big ones? Or, well, what are the big ones? <laughs> Who's going to decide that? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think there's another approach to that verse that doesn't come out in that book on Save Without a Doubt. And that is, this gets a little complex. It gets into Greek. I hate to do that, but it solves the passage. He goes from the present tense to the perfect tense okay. with the same verb, the verb to know. And that particular verb to know, gnosko, means experiential knowledge. Not intuitive knowledge, but experiential knowledge. And it shifts from the present tense to the perfect tense. And when it does that, it shifts into an intimate relationship. It shifts into an intensive experience. You might say experience on top of experience, or you might say a deeper experience. So really the way it reads is, by this we know, present tense, we have really come to know him intimately, mm. perfect tense, if we keep his commandments. Then the next verse says, if we say we know him deeply, now it's perfect tense again, egnoka. If I say I are, egnokami, if we say we know him deeply, intimately, closely, and we are not keeping his commandments, we're liars. The truth isn't on us. Well, that's perfectly clear. Oh, it is. If, perfectly if, if, clear. If, I, if I say I'm really close to Jesus yes. and I'm out uh, stealing from my employer on a regular basis, well, I'm either self-deceived or a liar, whatever. But this, this would say, well, I'm lying. I'm not really close to him. Maybe I'm an outright hypocrite. Uh, so the issue there in First uh, John 2, 3, and 4 is not whether you have a relationship with God or not. It's how close are you to him. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of relationship. It's a question of fellowship. And the book sets it up that way. In the first chapter, verse 3 and 4, as you would expect in this introduction, he says, uh, I'm writing this to you that you might have fellowship 
with us, and our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to have fellowship. Yes, He wants the fellowship, that unity and that joy that comes, comes with it. Well, in Maximum Joy, you say that intimate fellowship is what we were created for and what all Christians long for. I couldn't disagree with you at all. It's just, it's a, a, a absolutely true. You explain the two forces that you talk about in your book that you call magnetic Messiah and centrifugal force of Jesus. Mm-hmm. What does that mean in our everyday life? Well, the way John starts out the book is just fascinating. He talks about, you know, we've heard and we've seen and we've beheld and we've touched concerning the word of life. And it's kind of a picture of how John probably first was introduced to Jesus. He, he probably heard he was preaching somewhere to a big crowd. He got there and he could hear his voice, but he couldn't see where the voice was coming from. So he gets closer and all of a sudden he sees him, but he's still afar off. He gets really, really close and he beholds him. And the way that word is, is, expresses the idea that there's something more here than, than just the ordinary. And then when he touched him, well, who leaned up against Jesus in the upper room? It was the Apostle John. And so, uh, although he's using physical terms, it's really a picture of getting closer and closer to Jesus. Closer and, closer. and that's what I call the magnetic Messiah. Yes. Uh, it's his desire to be close to us. Draw near to God, he'll draw nigh near to you. So, uh, he desperately wants to be close to us. We're his greatest work, his magnum opus. Someday we will judge the angels. We're a greater work than the angels. So he wants to be close to us, and he keeps drawing us closer. The opposite force, though, is true as well. It's really a key to witnessing. Uh, have you ever seen a newly engaged girl hiding her hand uh, with the ring on it behind her, behind her back? No, yeah. she's out like this. Exactly, you know, showing, holding it out so everyone whole, can see. the whole yes. crowd. Why? Because she's in love. Yeah. As you grow deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, uh, he thrusts you out. Uh, in fact, the way that it's, it's written in here, he, he talks, again, uh, there's a progression on the way out. Just as there was coming in, there is on the way out because he talks about uh, seeing something you don't have to bear witness to. But if you're subpoenaed, then you would talk about it. But if you go proclaim it, no one's forcing you to talk at all. You want to, uh, the way he puts it in here. And what we have seen, and uh, we bear witness, and we proclaim to you concerning the uh, eternal life, which is with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you. Proclaiming is sticking the uh, ring in front of everybody. It's, it's an open... Making sure you see it yeah. and hear it. Right. I, I'm not being subpoenaed, uh, and I'm not a, a secret service Christian. I want to talk about it. That's really the key to witnessing. You hear a lot of preachers browbeating the flock about we need to get out and, and save people, knock on doors, etc. I'm all for knocking on doors. I've done that in my neighborhood where I live. But it's not because I have to. It's because I want to. You're compelled to, right? That's the centripetal yes. force of Jesus. Love the it. centripetal force draws you in. His centripetal force throws you out. Not trying to get scientific here, but his magnetic force draws you in. And then your love for him sends you out. You want to talk mm-hmm. about him. That's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Well, our guest today is Dr. Dave Anderson. He's president of Grace School of Theology. We're discussing his book, Maximum Joy, with the subtitle, First John, Relationship or Fellowship? Well, later in the program, we'll tell you how to learn more about Grace School of Theology and more importantly, how you can become involved either as a student 
or as a supporter of God's great work here. Well, let's get back to John's purpose in writing 1 John. You know, Dr. Anderson, since John is talking about our present fellowship with Christ uh, and the fruit that is realized right here on earth uh, as we enjoy that fellowship, are there eternal consequences of our fellowship? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I would say that um, the intimacy we find with Christ on earth is in some way directly proportionate to the intimacy we have with him forever. Oh, wow. That's something to think about. If you let me, I can show you that real quickly from another of John's writings, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2. He talks about the overcomer who will receive of the hidden manna. That manna was in the Ark of the Covenant. No one got to eat of that manna. But he says the overcomer is going to eat of this special manna. And then he says, I will give to him uh, a new new name. And he says, I'll give a white stone, and on the stone will be a new name written, which no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, someone else knows it, the one who gave it, right? So it's a term of endearment between that person and and the Lord himself. It's a a sign of of intimacy. So it's not that passage then is not saying this is something all believers will receive, but the overcomers, those who have abided in close, intimate fellowship with the Lord. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, as, actually, as you look at the overcomer passages going through those seven churches, mm-hmm. they're getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Yes. So one of the great rewards, we think of rewards in terms of gold, silver, precious stones, crowns, and all that, but perhaps the greatest reward we will receive is how close we'll be to the Savior. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have uh, explained hell as, well, spiritual death is separation from God. Mm-hmm. Some have explained hell as, as uh, deeper and deeper loneliness, deeper and oh. deeper isolation. Wow. Yeah. Well, the opposite of that would be not only living in God's presence, but being closer and closer to Him. And he had his inner circle when he was here on earth. Uh, So it makes sense that he would have an inner circle, if you will, maybe expanded by those overcomers uh, in heaven. Yes. Lots to look forward to if we abide. Wow. You titled your book Maximum Joy. Now, there are maybe those listening who are thinking, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm a joyful kind of person. I I have a good marriage and I I smile all the time, have a good job. Uh, Is is that what you mean by maximum joy? Well, uh, this is a spiritual joy. I mean, uh, non-Christians can have happiness. Non-Christians can have joy, but on a different level. Uh, There's a joy that comes from the spiritual life that's not like anything else. it says that joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So he gives you this special joy. Uh, there's joy in his presence forevermore. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Uh, it's a unique type of joy that I think only those who have experienced it and tasted it uh, know what we're talking about. But once you have tasted it, yes. once you've experienced it, you'll never forget it. And you always long for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say that that joy in my own life has only been since I discovered grace. Well, what, really. what was it that, how did that work for you? Well, you know, I just, uh, my husband and I both, we found that we were going through the motions of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But to say there was joy in it, uh, no, because we were trying so hard to prove that we were saved uh, and, and felt that we did need to make sure that, you know, we were crossing all of our T's and dotting all of our I's and, and, and doing all the things that the particular church where we were members were saying, this is what you do uh, to prove. So I, I, it wasn't until we understood that that God's love was just unconditional and that our eternal security, our salvation was eternally secure, uh, that he accepted us as we are mm-hmm. and yet loves us so much that he allowed his Holy Spirit into our lives to to change us into the image of Christ. But that it was his work, uh, not mm-hmm. our struggles and efforts to do so. Uh, you know, the people I found who are always struggling to figure out if they're elect or not yeah. don't exhibit much joy. No. No. In fact, do you know that diaries began through the English Puritans? And it was a way to figure out if you were elect or not. You oh, keep wow. it keep a daily record of your mm-hmm. victories and losses. And with that kind of and John Owen wrote a six hundred and fifty page book to help you figure out if you're elect or not. Well, with that approach to the Christian life, the whole thing's drudgery. Oh, it is. I think of the Daisy on you know, the he loves me, he loves me not. He, yeah. And you hope at the end that he loves you. And and yeah. it would be that same doubt. My uh, Well, we started our discussion today talking about sin in the life of a Christian. And though we know it doesn't affect our relationship with him, it does, in fact, affect our fellowship with him uh, because in him there is no darkness at all. You talk about three principles in First John, and we certainly will not have time in this podcast to address them all. But could you just briefly touch on uh, that, that right living? Uh, you talk about right living, right loving, right learning. Mm-hmm. Kind of just give us a, a, just a brief capsule of, of what you Well, were... just to help quickly with the book, yes. uh, it's notoriously hard to outline. Yes. Uh, my mentor, who was head of the New Testament department at, at Dallas Seminary, uh, said he'd spent 15 years trying to outline it. And, mm, uh, wow. Uh, it's kind of like the themes come up like porpoises. Mm-hmm. They come up and then go under the surface, come up and go under the surface, come up and go under. But there are three of them that keep surfacing in this right living, right loving, right learning. Those are the three. There are three cycles. They're introduced and they're expanded upon. And then the climax for each of them comes at the end of the book. But the right living is primarily dealing with our sin. And, of course, we find out right away uh, that it's not in God. He's light in him. is no darkness at all. But coming out of that uh, can be three responses that are incorrect. In verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10 are some false statements. Then the corrections come in verse 7, verse 9, and chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. But one of the most famous verses in uh, 1 John, probably the most famous, is 1 John 1, 9. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, the beauty of that verse is that it includes our known sins and our unknown sins. You can't see that in English, but the way it's written, it, it, if you did a wooden translation, it would say, if we confess the sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us the sins mm-hmm. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that makes no sense in English, mm-hmm. so we don't translate it that way. But the, the little word the is in the Greek. And when that's there, it's specifying the noun. Okay. These are specific sins that you know about. So the Holy Spirit makes us aware of certain sins. If he made me aware of all the sin in my life, I would probably melt away like the wicked witch of the East. Right? <laughs> Be overwhelmed. So in his grace, yes. 
he kind of puts a spotlight on one at a time. Mm-hmm. And he says, all right, let's deal with this one. Now I can deny it's there. I can do whatever I want. But if I'm willing to confess that specific sin, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us that sin. And then it says to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's all the stuff I'm doing I don't know about that's wrong. He cleanses of all that so I can keep walking in fellowship, or as he puts it in First John, walking in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Just, just one thought on that. Uh, quite often the same sin will plague us over and over. Mm-hmm. And we confess it and fall again and confess it and fall again. At some point, we start saying, wait, there's something wrong here. I can't just keep confessing the same sin over and over. That's not right. He says, well, it is right. Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all. The word just there, dikaios, means right. It's right. But it's not right because I am necessarily got the victory. It's right because of the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. That keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And you might also think, well, um, I can't just keep coming over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I mean, he won't just keep forgiving me, will he? He says he's faithful. Yes. If we confess our sins or the ones we know about, he's faithful and just. Forgive us of those sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a promise. That's for fellowship, not for relationship. If it's relationship, you might go in and out of relationship several times a day. Or just deny the little sins in your life that you think of and only confess the big ones. It gets all muddled very quickly. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's a beautiful promise that we have in 1 John 1, 9. And, and to know that uh, he desires that intimate fellowship with us, mm-hmm. that he makes a way for us to come before him just through confession of our sin. And like you say, we aren't wise enough to know all the sins that we commit, but he's even covered that as well. Uh, what a blessing to be his child and to live for him. Well, we really just scratched the surface of your book, Maximum Joy. But when we have you on in future podcasts, we will come back and revisit and dig a little deeper. But uh, Dr. Anderson, thank you uh, for writing Maximum Joy. Uh, It certainly has made an impact on my life, I know. And I know that it will on those who are tuned in and listening today. Well, if you have been encouraged or challenged by today's program, we encourage you to learn more about Grace School of Theology. Visit us at our website at www.gsot.edu slash savinggrace. That's gsot.edu slash savinggrace. While there, won't you prayerfully consider how God would have you partner with us? Perhaps you're interested in becoming a student, or maybe God is calling you to offer financial support so that others may learn and carry the message of grace around the world. Well, we would love to get your questions and comments about today's podcast. You can send your questions through our Twitter handle at SavingGraceCast. It's also a good way to find out about future podcasts and also information on the events and happenings of Grace School of Theology. You can always email your questions to SavingGrace at gsot.edu. That's SavingGrace at gsot.edu. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. 
Dr. Ken Wilson will be joining us as we consider the question, how does our view of God's supreme authority, His sovereignty, affect our view of salvation? We hope you'll join us. Thanks for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.